0: Good evening, everybody. This is Katherine Lambrecht, Chicago Foodways Roundtable. Um, It's March. Yesterday yesterday was the Ides of March. Et tu Brute Day, as I like to call it. So our program tonight is uh, about community cookbooks. Uh, Libet Richter was involved with this committee, but she's also been involved with the culinary historians, probably just about from the get-go, so the early 90s. And I'm going to
1: turn this over to you Libby, to tell us everything we need to know. Thank you, Catherine. I'm delighted to be here. Well, I'm a member of St. Chrysostom's Episcopal Church and Day School. We're going to tell the story of our cookbook, St. Chris's Table. Um, the women of St. Chris's and our cookbook committee are represented with me here tonight, and they'll be joining us in just a second. But a few words about our parish. It's on Dearborn Parkway, on Chicago's north side. The Women of St. Chrysostoms, or WASC, as we're fondly abbreviated, is a fellowship of women members who have organized social activities and raised funds for a variety of initiatives for over 120 years. We currently focus our charities involving supporting women and girls, as well as the renovation of our church building. We have bake sales, clothing drives, and other activities during the year. Wask events are designed to bring people together to establish and maintain friendships and the parish has an active food ministry providing dinners to area residents in need and to a range of other food charities we offer lunches that we pack and collect every week and during COVID the idea of a cookbook emerged with me tonight are members of our cookbook, our cookbook committee we have our chairman uh, Janet Russo, who will be talking to us in a second, our esteemed artist Jonathan Boyer, McLaurin Files, our recorder, editor, and publisher Liaison, and Isabel Carter, our publicist and our marketer. Believe me, it took a team effort to pull this off, and we want to tell you the steps involved and how you too can have your own community cookbook. And we're going to start with Janet Russo, the chairman of our committee.
2: So, Janet, great to have you here. Tell yep. us how it started. Well. I think, first of all, uh, St. Chrysostom's is a community of very talented cooks, so we we started with that, and we know that because, as Libet mentioned, we regularly use those talents for cooking ministries, and uh, we self-cater our own events, so not only are we familiar with um, people's specialties, uh, many of us have cooked together over the years. And while the concept for a community cookbook really wasn't new to the group, I think it had been talked about for various boards. And as Libet mentioned, we've been around a long time, but nothing really ever came to fruition. Um, and it was in the low moments of the pandemic in the summer of 20 uh uh 2020 for me, and I was talking to a friend and colleague and excellent cook, Sherry Wick, and I said to her, Oh, you're cooking your way through the pandemic, and she said she was, but and trying new things to try to you know keep interested, but nothing, she's not finding things she'd want to make again. And I agreed. So we had a quick exchange of recipes and we thought, oh, this is a good idea. Maybe we should have a bigger recipe exchange. And then we thought, OK, well, maybe it's time for a cookbook. So that idea quickly evolved into a full blown cookbook. So how did this concept evolve over time? Well, I think our initial concept uh, was very simple. We just wanted healthy, delicious uh, recipes that you get hungry for and you make time and again. Um, And while this book had a potential always as a fundraiser, initially, we just wanted to make an excellent cookbook and bring our community together when it was so isolated. And also, I think, you know, to share a a love of cooking and food. And um, we also hoped that all the recipes would um, be part of someone's ongoing repertoire or some of them would. And uh, that was that was a goal from the get go. And, you know, I think. We really remained true to that concept, even uh, from the very beginning when we formed a committee to brainstorm our next steps. um, I think our committee shared that vision, and then we went into like uh, steps like the content and the format and and the cost for printing and also lists of possible titles. All those decisions had to be made. Um, uh, And I think the other nice thing um, in terms of our, our concept was that we could use our committee as a core group and they were the first to actually give us the recipes to start the book and we got off to a very good start with that and then we were able to broaden that to our bigger community and then actually target a list of 20 or 25 really known good cooks to get recipes from them because that we knew that would help ultimately to make it a really great cookbook. Um, I think one thing unexpected, uh, who knew, um, was that Livid and Lauren were collectors of community cookbooks from across the country. And, and I, I think that was very helpful because they could pull one up and say, do you like this one? I think we had one from the Met and we had something from New Orleans. And that really helped us narrow down the, the kind of look and feel we wanted and, and to make those determinations.
1: I'm sure there were a lot of, uh, I don't say I'm sure, I know there were a lot of very heated debates on some of these early decisions. Do you remember what some of our disagreements were and how we resolved them?
2: Really? I I don't remember too many, you know, I think, you know, and we'll get to this later, certainly um, the size of the book and uh, certainly the cost of publishing and, and and i know you know we as i said we'll get that to that later the decisions we had to make everything seemed like it was a big decision at the time you know <laughs> looking back on it i look back and think it all went rather smoothly but um there were some critical things that we did decide up front and uh, one thing i think it was my best decision or one of them um mm-hmm. and i i didn't know it at the time i do know it now you re- you really needed a person who was computer savvy and detail oriented to do one of these things, and McLaurin will get into those challenges later. But um, she was one of my best decisions when I said, "Would you be part of this committee?" Because uh, she stepped up big time, and uh, I, I, you know, I just wasn't prepared for all the detail, all the revisions and additions, and proofreading notes, and um, you know, all that uh, testing notes and all that things that things that go into making something consistent. Um, and she did that over twenty eight version. So that was uh, that was a, a big part of the process. Um,
1: what about the recipes themselves? How did you go about starting to get the recipes, and what kinds of recipes
2: were coming in? Well, we actually put out a, a call for recipes, and. Um, and we got it, you know, you get a mix, you get, uh, you know, and I will say one of our other decisions was to test all the recipes. And, you know, when you get them in that the, um, the testing, you see like people who used them as a roadmap and, you know, and they, they were kind of loosey goosey. And then people that had these just very detailed um, instructions. And a big part of our process was making all the, those consistent, uh, but mostly from the calls to recipes and actually calling people and emailing people and kind of you know reminding them of your deadlines to kind of to get to get them in so I remember we felt it was really important to get the,
1: the clergy at the church to contribute mm-hmm. and we had to go after um I think our organist and our clergy and bug them a little bit to actually get yeah. them to send in recipes. Yep. Yeah no that was that was um, an interesting process. I think in the beginning we thought well are we going to get enough and then of course we ended up with
2: more than we needed. Absolutely. And I I think another uh, key point was we made very clear that everyone had to credit people. That was important to our group. And, you know, so from Julia Child to uh, Thomas Keller to your mother, you know, we wanted those credits. Um, We just thought credits where it's due. And, you know, that was uh, something I'm really glad we, we stuck with and we're kind of adamant about. Um, the other thing was, uh, anecdotes and we asked people to send them and, and, not, not every recipe has an anecdote, but, um, we did get some really good ones. And that would, that was, that was fun because in the end, we ended up with 187 recipes. Um, and we realized it was just really about sharing a piece of yourself with others. And, uh, so we uncovered, you know, um, you know, foods from all sorts of eras and, and then stories of. You know, family and friends and travel and service. And, you know, it just speaks to food and and life and the importance of it. And um, over 70 people actually contributed. So I think that was, uh, that met our goal of bringing our community together very, very well. So...
1: Well, I actually have marked a couple of those stories, and I'm just going to share one now that I think is really relevant. One of our parishioners is named Carolyn Craycroft, and she's English by birth, and she provided a Hungarian goulash recipe, and here's what she wrote about it. My mother started making goulash when we lived in Berlin in the early 1950s, encouraged by a Hungarian-born colleague of my father's. He told her it needed a little sweetening and suggested a tablespoon of orange marmalade. When I was in Leningrad in 1972, Carolyn traveled quite a bit, still does. I discovered at the farmers market that the Russian bouquet garni included a sliver of parsnip for the sweetener. So that's the kind of personal story that I think really uh, was marvelous as as we began to try to collect all of these recipes. Um, I actually stole a recipe from Julia Child that I contributed. And uh, uh, it was interesting when the tester tested it, she felt that um, there needed to be some improvement in the way the recipe was written. And I quoted it from Julia and I gave her full credit. So sometimes <laughs> recipes, even from Julia Child, can um, be tweaked a little to make them easier to use. So
2: that whole process was fun. You had a couple of good recipes too, Janet. Oh, I did. I, you know, I still, I, I still, I find myself thinking, oh, I wish that was in the book. You know, I, you know, there, there's still more. Maybe we'll do a supplement one of these days.
3: Yeah. But I,
2: I, I, too, I think food and food history is something I'm interested in, and I think um, is it Anne condensed uh, Decade, um, she gave us an empanada one, and I'll read from hers. Um, it's, it's from Dona Lola, an old Argentine cookbook written for cooks with no need for quantities. Just add some, the cookbook advises and cooks figure it out. My treasure book finally fell apart. I miss it very much because I still miss Argentina. I love living there. Eponadas are, eponadas are great as an appetizer, lunch, or dinner. Anyway, I thought that was a lovely one too. I
1: That's love that
2: cool. they just say, just add some and the cooks figure it out.
1: <laughs> yeah. so, so what's your sense of meeting the original goal of the building community? Do you think we accomplished that?
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I sort of look back and wonder if there wasn't a pandemic, how this cookbook would have come out differently, you know, because uh-huh. um, that really helped. People had the time. They had the time to test. They had the time to cook. Um, so um, and they liked the the process, I think, more. I, it would have been a different cookbook if we hadn't been in that that like, you know, in, in that that. You know, not so nice period of time in in life. Um, but w- one decision I, I I didn't talk about yet, and it was just key from the get go, was what was the book going to look like? I mean, that was a a major thing. And and um, I, I have I look back for this over some of the notes, and I, I saw things like um, research public domain art, maybe go to the New Newberry Library for uh, you know cookbooks because they have a huge collection of cookbooks that are public domain. Research Funcraft Craft Art, which is a company that we ended up publishing with. And finally, I see one like really big time saying, get Jonathan Boyer on board. And there was an exclamation point after that. So with right. this, I think it's time for us to hear from Jonathan. And Here Jonathan and is
1: our, our, our esteemed art. Jonathan is an architect. He's a watercolorist. He's a gifted designer. And he's with us now to tell us about making our cookbook as beautiful as it is. Jonathan.
4: <clears throat> These are images that I did uh a long time ago and some of the people in the church actually were kind enough to have looked at them and we used them in an auction but I just want to emphasize that I had never done a cookbook in my life and this was the first <laughs> time experience. So <laughs> their committee was great to have a leap of faith and think, well, this guy, you know, he draws buildings, but what about you know, fruit and other things. So these are the images that are related to the sections I was given to uh, respond to. So I have to say that I, um, you know, had eight sections, two covers, one black and white drawing. You can see that they give me these tasks. And I tried to respond um, by creating things uh, that I thought were appropriate for each section. Which leads me to my first thing, which is how do you decide what to paint? And I went to some other cookbooks and images, and this, for example, is a leg of lamb. And it's a beautiful leg of lamb, but I'll tell you, it's very difficult to do in watercolor to make it look enticing. So this is an example of something I rejected. And then I also tried to do chicken. Which, you know, I think it's an, a halfway decent roast chicken, but I think it's a very ugly watercolor. So <laughs> I decided also to reject that. So it's the pluses and minuses that you come through to be able to decide what to uh, paint and what not to paint. So leading to that, I was also asked to do a little drawing of the outside of the church for the cover. And the committee and their infinite wisdom came to me and said, Jonathan, this is a nice drawing, but it's too dark, it looks bleak, and we don't think it's a good opening page. So can you fix it? So I actually had to go in and take this with a rather important electric eraser and change the whole drawing so that it had the buds of spring. The shadows were a little bit less severe. And we had a church that looked more welcoming and more inviting to enter the beginning of a cookbook. So this is simply an example of the back and forth between myself and the committee that offered great advice and what to select and what not to select. So uh, based on that, I then started the sections. And as I said, there were eight sections. This happens to be one of them, which is Simply going to be about um, elements that had to do with leeks and fennel, and I took things literally from the Green City Market and I put them on the table and I assembled them, and I looked at them with my wife's help, and uh, I tried to decide. Uh, you know, was this a composition that was appealing? I looked at this, which was all leeks, and thought the color and the texture was wonderful, and then. This is the kind of thing I ended up with for sides. The leeks are underneath. I have a diagonal for the carrot, which is orange with a little carrot tops. And I had a tomato in the bottom. And then uh, once again, in the infinite wisdom of the committee, they said, Jonathan, this is nice, but we need more color. So then I added a tomato. So (laughs) this became the final which once again was the back and forth of making these drawings. And then the question became uh, not only composition, and this is an example of salads that I chose, which was one of the section. And again, I went to photographs, and I'm sorry, I've got to go back again. And um, I didn't like this, so I tried another one, and uh, I looked at sort of the view of the picture. This is looking down, And it's very nice, but it doesn't have enough color and texture. So then I went to a drawing, which I made uh, contemporaneously with uh, assembling bits of fruit and so forth. And then I finally uh, made the final drawing, which as you can see, all I did was assemble it from pieces of things that I found in the kitchen and made it hopefully a little more colorful. And then the final drawing, uh or final painting became something that I could put a title across and once again it had I think a mixture of color and texture that was sort of more interesting um I tried the same thing with a section called breads and I had this assembled as you can see this is a very primitive assembly and then I completely rearranged it I did the bread on the side the knife on a diagonal and I threw in a little Cappuccino in the top. So, this is an example of where I started with something and I played with it and tried to make it look appealing. And then I was tasked with making uh, uh, the cover, which is uh, rather, uh, I'm sorry, for entrees, which is rather important. And I chose fish because the leg of lamb and the chicken and everything else wasn't very appealing. And I did this drawing, and then I also did this drawing or painting. And we ended up deciding on this second one for the entree section. And then my final task was, I was tasked with making a cover on the front and a cover in the back. And I literally, with my wife's help, once again, set up this little table thinking, if the cover of the book is called St. C's Table, I think I ought to have a welcoming invitation to have a meal with us. And my original concept was to have an invitation on the plate. Um, This idea got vetoed by the committee, which (laughs) is the way it goes when you work with a committee. They didn't like that idea and I completely understand that. But um, I then had to do the original drawing, which was this. And the comment was, it's a nice drawing, but it needs more color and kill the invitation. So I did that and I went to the next drawing. It now has a more colorful flowers and it has the seal of St. C's on the plate. And then it has the beginning of the meal. And as you see, the problem with cookbooks is you have to kind of condense the size of the image. I couldn't do the full table. All the elements would have been too small it wouldn't have looked good. So I changed the composition. And the idea was this was the opening of the table, welcoming you to our cookbook, inviting you to have a meal with us from one of the menus that's in the cookbook. And then I decided to try and arrange the end of the meal with coffee and whatever, etc. Uh, having finished the wonderful meal of all of the, um, menus that were in the in the cookbook and I ended up also having to struggle with the idea of the blown out candle so I literally had candles which I would blow out on the table and try to simulate the quality of the smoke after the uh element was and this was what I finally ended up with with the leaves falling off the uh, plant the 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 uh, utensils on the plate, the glasses of wine and water half drunk, and my napkin on the side, so you have a little before and an after. It may be a little bit of, of a story of beginning and end, but then it is a church, and we are the idea of having menus, so I thought this might be appropriate and then finally, um, these are all the images that I came up with, from salad to soup to desserts. And ultimately, we had a graphic designer come in, and she helped us. Happened to be my daughter, who is a very good graphic designer. I'll give a little plug for Julia, and she arranged the the all the Im- images on the on the various uh, watercolors. We have slightly different colors, and that in essence is the story of how we came together with the entire, all the graphics and drawings for the cookbook. And if you have any questions, I'd be glad to answer any of them.
1: There we go. Thank you. That was just marvelous. And here's a picture of the final cover. Um, You can see the front and the back, the beginning of the meal, I'm trying to balance it, the beginning of the meal and the end of the meal. We were just delighted with the way this all worked out. And it makes it a particularly particularly handsome cookbook so commend it to everybody but while jonathan was beavering away making these fabulous drawings meanwhile we had to document everything and we had to edit everything and we had to find a publisher and if it hadn't been for mclaurin files i don't know how we would have gotten it done she is our our intellectual and technical genius and i turn it over to mclaurin tell us about your role, McLaurin, and how in the world you kept it all
5: organized? Well, I guess a little bit of, of background. When we first started talking about the cookbook, you know, I was interested in, in exactly what Janet said, the sharing with community um, You know, during the COVID restrictions. And I had worked on a junior league cookbook in the past. And so I sort of had some experience with what it took to make a cookbook, um, though I knew this process would be different. And we were concerned, you know, with keeping costs down because we didn't want to, the church was going to fund it, and we didn't want there to be any possibility the church would be out of pocket. Um, And at the same time, we wanted to be accessible to, you know, every member of our community. So with that in mind, when we thought about how to do the publishing, we knew we were going to have to go, not with a consultant, because that would be very expensive, but that we would... You know, do it on our own and initially we're even thinking of doing an electronic cookbook. But when Jonathan came on board with those beautiful watercolors, we knew that we're going to do a hard bound book and it would be something that we would all treasure and that we thought our community would treasure. So. Then we started looking for a professional printer and a friend of mine luckily told me that her mother's church had used FunCraft, which is a very, is a small printer um, out of Tennessee and um, and they specialize in charity fundraising cookbooks. Um, so after researching them and looking at self-publishing or not, the best fit for us in terms of keeping the price down again and also having a beautiful showcase because we wanted hardcover as well for Jonathan's artwork, was going to be the the FunCraft publisher.
1: Tell us about the testing process and how you were able to document that whole activity, which was extremely time-consuming, as it turned out, for all of us.
5: (laughs) Well, we leaned on our friend, Excel. um, So we kept a running list of recipes and who contributed them. And then we paired... Um, our committee members with the recipes and we also had other volunteers come forward wonderful cooks who said they would help us test the recipes too. Um, So you know we really received more recipes than I really had imagined that we would and I was very surprised also with the variety of the recipes we received. So we started sorting them into the categories and we also started to look for you know things that were in common. So we grouped all of our chicken recipes together, for example, and and we really did not have a lot of duplicates. Um, so, and, and we had a variety as well that I was very happy about in terms of, you know, some very elaborate dishes for people who were, you know, excellent cooks and wanted to challenge themselves during COVID. Um, but also, as Janet said, some more simple dishes that you might turn to over and over again that were not so time consuming, but just delicious and fresh. Um, and, and a lot of our cooks contributed things that were um, very flexible in terms of um, substitutions for ingredients and um, you know, some of those sort of what you have in your pantry recipes. So um you know, we organized them. We shared spreadsheets back and forth, looked at how things should be categorized. When we got feedback from the testers, we sometimes we changed the categories because what we thought was an entree really was more of a side. Um, and we tried to also get down, a lot of the recipes didn't say portions. Um, so, you know, we took... Every recipe, no matter how it was sent in, Um, we had a template that people could use, but we also got photographs of handwritten recipes from someone's grandmother. And it was just a wonderful opportunity with each recipe to reach out and connect with the person who submitted it, ask some questions about it. The testers were reaching out and talking to the people who submitted the recipes we were all talking to each other about what we were cooking and what we really liked. And, you know, I think we wanted each recipe to be tested at least once. And then if it was challenging for the tester, we would have someone else test it. But I think a lot of the committee members, you know, tried more recipes and, you know, we had, so we would be talking about the feedback we got from someone and someone would say, oh, I cooked that and it was really good. And now I'm making it every week. So it was just a, you know, a wonderful process from that, from that point. The editing, you know, we made a lot of decisions that um, sort of contributed to the amount of editing that we decided to do. Um, when recipes come in, they're as unique as the person who submitted it, the way they abbreviate things. Um, just think about powdered sugar or confectioner sugar. Um, and how they talk about measurements, a stick of butter, or is it a quarter pound of butter, or is it half a cup of butter? Um, so all of these things we decided we would make that, you know, sort of consistent in the, in our style and, and that the ingredients would be listed in the order that they were used, that everything would be in measurements instead of, um, weight, and so there was a lot of conversion involved, especially with some of the older recipes that we received, um, that we really wanted to use those recipes because they were family treasures. So after we um, you know, got all the recipes tested, um, we put them in order, we edited, and we formatted. It really was
1: quite a chore to do all that, but it made a very consistent, easy-to-use cookbook Something else that that touched me greatly uh, was the fact that in at least three and maybe more recipes, we honored members of the parish who had passed away. And I'm just going to read uh, one dedication to a dear friend of mine whose gingerbread was a treat that I always got at Christmas time from her. Our late dedicated parishioner and diocesan stalwart, Tessa Krebcox, often made this gingerbread recipe at Christmas to the delight of her guests. Tessa was beloved for her generosity of time and spirit. The recipe originated with Mrs. Sturdy, a family friend and neighbor of her father, retired British Admiral Maurice Gregg in Bermuda. And I think that's a lovely tribute to Tessa. And there were also other other friends who are no longer with us who we were able to honor that way. Uh, One more question I think you could help us understand was the structure of the book, because I remember many debates about indexes versus table of uh, contents versus how we listed the committee, and it seemed to me we spent almost as much time trying to figure all that stuff out as the recipes.
5: (laughs) Well, I think that, you know, in the end, and that's a good point. One of the things we thought about as well in terms of the number of sections Um, And that we really had to nail down because of, you know, Jonathan's involvement was, you know, what would each section be? What would it be called? And we had originally thought of maybe having a um, drink section. Um, And our sort of our catch-all ended up being bread and breakfast, I think. So, you know, that was sort of one that we hadn't really thought about originally, but then... It was hard to fit, bread didn't fit into appetizers. And, you know, so we looked at, I do have a collection of junior league cookbooks from all over the country. And so we looked at those um, a mm-hmm. lot. And then we also leaned heavily, I would say, on the joy of cooking, um, just in terms of, cause that has so many recipes in it and is so carefully categorized.
1: Well, it was an amazing job to get this together. And the fact that we had to keep editing and editing. I remember you had to reformat everything into the format that FunCraft wanted us to use. And yet we had to proof it, what, two more times after they gave us a proof? It was pretty amazing. Yes,
5: it was. And our editors were were wonderful. And we would, you know, so one person would review a section and we would, you know, revise it for their comments and give it to another person. And we had to share our notes back and forth because you know, a hot debate was the Oxford comma. Um, but what would happen is if one person had one style, they would change everything. And the next person would review it with the same style and basically be changing it back. Um, so it was, um, so for consistency, we would keep notes and then share our notes amongst all the proofreaders. So we were, you know, all on the same page. So when we made a decision about something, everybody Everybody knew what we were thinking of doing. Um, And yeah, I think that, you know, had I had had to do it over again, um, we probably would have used Isabel's Isabel's trick of the Google Doc um, in order to, you know, get the template um, sort of down and, and some of the formatting down. At the same time, I think we would have rich missed out on sort of the richness of all of the different generations that we got. And, you know, some people are not as comfortable with, you know, the computer interface. And so our flexibility, I think, in, you know, we, ha- we got recipes mailed to us. And, and I just think that's wonderful. The care that each person, um, you know, took to pick out the recipe that they were going to send, to carefully rewrite it or carefully retype it. Um really makes it a treasure for for all of us. And and their stories gives us a little insight into each into the people in our parish um, and and their thoughtfulness.
1: Well, McLaurin, I don't know how we would have ever gotten the book done without you. And as McLaurin got the book wrapped up and the publisher was shipping it, the next challenge, of course, was to sell it because we wanted to raise money for the church. And thanks to Isabel who's joining us now to share her secrets. Uh, We did quite well. Isabel?
6: Well, so once we got this wonderful book together, the first task we had was how do we price it? We had, we wanted to price it at a point where it reflected all the hard work and the quality of the recipes and not to mention the amazing, stunning artwork that. Jonathan provided, but at what point do we start to lose buyers because it's priced too high? So we actually had a number of meetings on this topic. We had a board meeting for the WASC board, um, and then we also had a committee meeting, and then we had another board meeting, and I think we had another committee meeting, um, and we kept going back and forth. Again, with the quality of the recipes we received and also coupled with Jonathan's beautiful artwork, we we knew that we could fetch as high as $50 for this cookbook. But at that point, we really narrow our audience down. So we wanted to set the price at a point where it would be accessible to a large audience. So ultimately, we decided on $20 a book and $15 for two or more. This way, we incentivize people to purchase multiple as gifts, um, but we also had a we thought that 20 was a nice brown price point for uh, just a singular book.
1: So what were your options in terms of how to market the book? How did we let people know about it? And
6: uh, what were some of the techniques you used? So our team was divided into a few categories. We had the external PR team, which Olivia was a part of, and, uh, they that team focused mostly on external publications so for instance libit w- wrote this beautiful article for uh, classic chicago magazine and hopefully everyone's read that article and if not mm-hmm. i i will include it in the chat uh after our presentation um we also had some communication in the uh we also had a link to order the cookbook in a, a diocese email communication. And we also reached out to um, a few different out, news outlets to see if they were interested in the story. In internally, we also had an internal PR team and we, with that we have an internal uh, email communication that goes out weekly. So we were often featured in that there's of course the church bulletin, um, which we were all, we were featured in that for a number of weeks and a a unique feature of St. Christmas church is that we have this wonderful day school with this really robust community of parents and families and alums so we were also able to market to them through um the day school also has uh email communication um as far as selling to these people we sold most most of our cookbooks were either pre-ordered through the link through a uh, google forms link or uh purchased after service, or sometimes we would even go as far as delivering them to people's houses for large orders. Uh, we also had bake sales uh, in connection with the day school and also just wask put on uh, base, bake sales where we would sell the cookbooks. And that's another way that uh, we were able to market ourselves too.
1: Now talk a little bit about our initial order and then our reorder and and how we did.
6: So uh, we initially ordered 300 cookbooks. And again, there was a big debate as far as do we order 200, do we order 300? And I'll be honest, I was on the 200 side, probably because I was in charge of selling the cookbook. <laughs> I wanted to make my job easier, but I was just amazed by our initial response. We blew through those 300 cookbooks I think within the first couple of weeks. So we immediately put in another order for 200. And we that also did incredibly well. We are currently at about we've currently sold about 4 a little over 400 of the 500 cookbooks that we have ordered and especially with Chicago opening back up. And then next coming months, we know that that there are going to be more opportunities for us to sell the cookbooks um, as we start to host more events.
1: Well, that's absolutely terrific news. And uh, congratulations on your excellent salesmanship, my dear. You did a wonderful job for us all and the whole team did. And I'd like to throw it open to the rest of the team. Are there any uh, observations that anybody has or comments that any of Uh, The four of you would like to make that we haven't already touched on before we throw it open to questions from our audience. Um, I guess we've all talked ourselves out. So, Catherine, let me throw it back to you. And it looks like we've got some questions in the chat and we're all available to answer.
0: We certainly do. And people do add them as you go. Okay, now there's some questions that sort of got answered in the chat, but nonetheless are still worth talking about. So how old is the idea of community cookbooks? There are cookbooks from the 1700s. And actually, we have somebody online. Penelope, do you want to just uh, unmute yourself and just comment a little bit about that? She's quite expert on community cookbooks. Otherwise, I, I wouldn't say that. But what about the origins of community cookbooks? Because I know that's
3: something you're that's deep in your heart. I put, but it over there. It's 1864, and it's a poetical cookbook, and it was done for a sanitary fair, (laughs) at the sanitary commission fair, at at, during the Civil War. There, you know, there was no Veterans Administration. Um, There was nothing for care, so the people raised money for hospitals to care for wounded soldiers and and veterans, and this was the first. One that was done for this and it took off in this country. And some, it's it, there have been a few in other countries, but mostly it's an American phenomenon and it has changed dramatically over the years. I'm guessing that St. Chris's cookbook doesn't have any recipes for hamburger helper in it. <laughs> Would that be a fair guess? But, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. But, safe guess. Uh, yeah, safe guess. But um, even in the not too distant past you will find recipes for hamburger helper and and such in community cookbooks around uh illinois is where i know most of them which are of surprise and you know, cream of mushroom soup campbell yeah so it, it, they vary and they actually are um insights into the community so I, I can't wait to get your cookbook i really can't and i'm you know i Expect it to have nothing but fabulous recipes. No kidding. We did beautiful.
2: have a recipe for Cool Whip. <laughs> so <laughs> and I had to look up Cool Whip, like, you know, what is it? And I think I did. It's from the 60s when it was invented. So uh, fair warning on that. <laughs> but, you know, but you could always substitute whipped cream. So, <laughs> but that was an old recipe that came in from somebody's grandmother. And, you know, you thought, okay, <laughs> it has its place. <laughs> so. Absolutely. How long from
1: from beginning to end did it take to produce this book good question we started in the in the spring um toward the beginning of the pandemic and we we thought we'd have it out that fall surprise surprise took another six months so probably probably what a year and a half start to finish what do you think Mm -hmm. janet yeah 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 we we thought it would be six months to eight months ha Surprise! Right, and Anne Marie commented. She says I have
0: some favorite recipes from church cookbooks that came about as fundraisers in pre-internet years. <laughs> um, I encountered uh, in South Dakota. Fred of mine said, in this one small community, there was a candy fundraiser from the church, and the recipe had disappeared. and the And the volunteers who made it were, you know, no longer with us. They found the recipe in one of their earlier uh, community cookbooks. So mm-hmm. it was like lost and found. I know you covered who did the testing of the recipes well, you guys were the core group, but you, you fanned
2: it out to other people. I hope.
1: Now, how many testers were there? Um, McLaurin or Janet, maybe you remember.
2: 20. I'm going to say 20, but I guess I yeah, I know I tested a few. I, I think there were 15 plus, I think there were 15 outside testers plus our committee of, of eight, you know, tested. So, and we did have one professional chef yeah. in the mix, a, a, a woman who
1: has her own catering business. And how but, many contributors were there in this
2: book? McLaurin, that's your that's okay. your area. I think it was eighty. It was about I no seventy. I think it was seventy oh. in the end because you, you had to count people who just make, gave you a recipe and someone who didn't give you a recipe and tested. So when I went back and did a kind of a quick count for this, it was it was it was seventy ish. So. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, This question, I think, was probably evolving because she did appreciate the drawings and the watercolors, but she said, why did not you take photos of the dishes? That's probably a cost issue as well.
2: Well, I think it was a pandemic issue as well. I mean, in a perfect world, we could have made the dish and decided on our photos and done all that. But that just was not happening in 2020. And really, for the most part of our cookbook, we hadn't even gotten vaccines yet. So... We knew we couldn't go in that direction, and, and then if you had people take their own pictures, it would not look good. That was that was not a that was not a, an option. <laughs> so so, and, and we felt
1: that that um, knowing Jonathan's work, that this would give it a very very special look and feel, which of course it has. I'll sh- show it again. We love it. It's beautiful. <laughs> now I know you mentioned you know we we talked about the the the
0: proofreading, but how many renditions did you do of this book?
5: Well, we had twenty we had twenty seven versions when it was a Word document. And then I think we at least went through four to eight versions from the printer. Um, and it was just a lot of you know every time we looked at it, it, and it wasn't as anything was wrong, right? But every time we looked at it, we found sort of a little inconsistency that we could clarify.
2: Wow. I no, know, I, I would add something, and I think Jonathan, you addressed this in one of our, our just meetings, talking about about this presentation, which was things that we would do again, not do again, and and, I, and some limitations were from that publisher, and um, you know where we got the a, a a lovely book at a good price. I mean, it did have limitations, and you know one of mine was I just would have liked to have seen the book and said, um, and it was so pretty when it came out with Jonathan's work that I wish it was bigger than, you know, and, and Mm -hmm. things like that. We just, and those were things we, we, that publisher, that they were limitations. And I, I know Jonathan, you felt like that too, with your not being able to see things and move them around.
4: Right. Right. Yeah. I wish I had seen proofs of the different uh, artist work, and with the you know, I'd, some had to be cropped artificially, and I just was lamenting the fact that I couldn't actually see it and then play with it mm-hmm. a little bit. I'm used to editing like that, being an architect. So I, uh, I wish that had happened. I don't. Why is it we can't get a, a draft? Is there a reason for that? Is that part of the cost issue?
5: I thought we had that option to pay for it, didn't we? We did. And part of the issue really was also kind of pandemic related. We wanted to have the book for um, the first church service of the year. We we're having a big gathering for everyone to come back. So we're sort of up against that deadline and um, having the book shift. And then if we had, you know, we were all in different places. A lot of the committee members had gone, you know, out of town during the pandemic. We we were on the idea.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We we had people in, in Washington state, people in Santa Fe, people in the East coast. It was sort of an amazing committee over the summer.
5: (laughs) So it was also just a matter of like shipping it around and how much time we would lose, um, doing that versus, you know, like some days, um, the proofreaders would come by, and on their on their walk around the neighborhood, right, would drop the pages by. Um, but then other people were having to email things, and you know, federal express them because they were out of town. So I think with the with the book, I think it was just we were concerned about signing the printer off in time to get the book for that first um, first service when we were coming together after the summer. Um,
0: it was commented. Don Lindgren is a rare book. Dealer, but he's also a scholar of cookbooks, and he's put together a catalog of early community cookbooks mm-hmm. that also serves as a guide to the genre. But the the this program tonight the the it began with Libet sending me an article that was published, which is now has a link, and asking you know if I would share it with our members. And I looked at it and I said, well, maybe this could be a program. Um now somebody said I have one of the authentic Pillsbury Contest cookbooks from mm-hmm. the 1940s and 17. 17- um uh, not quite sure what you mean by is that community cookbook available, but their community cookbook is definitely available. And uh, as a church, has this experience strengthened your faith
1: community? That's oh I
3: question.
1: certainly I certainly think it has. I mean that was really the beginning concept, wasn't it, Janet? Mm-hmm.
5: And I also think Isabel organized some really lovely bake sales. And I think that, you know, things have been so topsy-turvy for everyone and having the members of WASP come out and, you know, share their blessings and offer their, their food to the community, Many people came up to me and were just like, "Oh, this is just so lovely! It's so back to normal." And um, Isabel also worked with our day school, and that was a a lovely bridge between the church and the day school. Um, the sharing of recipes and the
2: sharing of you know our food. Isabel, I think one of the things we we didn't touch on is we did have we did do this. Um, we sent out a survey, and everyone we did have quite a few people saying they were interested in electronic versions, but they didn't ultimately sell that well, which I thought was interesting. People seem to want the hard copy, so maybe you can.
6: Yeah, again, I thought I think once once you've seen the cookbook, it's just real, and I I actually really like the size. I think it's com- compact and it feels very sturdy. Um, it's just easy, it and it just. It's just so beautiful. The pictures just turned out, the paintings just turned out so wonderfully. um I think once people saw it and they saw that it was the same price for an electronic versus a hard copy, they opted for the hard copy. So I think out of the four hundred we've sold, maybe only let fewer than ten, fewer mm-hmm. than ten were uh, electronic. Um, so, but I, I, I was also surprised because I think I was one of the ones who was like, I don't want anything hard copy. I want an electronic one. But once I saw what um, how well uh, it turned out, I, I think I purchased maybe twenty cookbooks, and <laughs> I, and I've been giving them out like hotcakes to friends and family. So. Do you have recipes in the book, Isabel? I do. I I have, I, I think I have a number of recipes in the book. And we were also, uh, there are a number of cookbook committee favorites, which is kind of a euphemism for our, all of our recipes. We just didn't feel like we needed to be featured in the book more than 10 times or whatever it was. Well, I, I, I did some
0: um, uh, I, I created a uh, index for a cookbook that was published around 1911 and, 19, and then a companion roughly 1925. And it was interesting how many the committee was a very big contributor to the number of recipes. And there were some that were without any attribution, which I figured was maybe more committee members. Who didn't want to reveal <laughs> the level of, of effort. Uh, does every recipe have a story in the book, or just selectively some of them, or how did you work that?
1: Selectively. The good ones we put in, and some people didn't have them at all, so they're scattered throughout.
0: Otherwise, there's headers, right? Yeah.
3: Okay.
1: Do you have any follow-up projects planned? Well, the, the images are so beautiful. Uh, Jonathan, maybe you could talk about what some of the options are that we've talked about doing with your with your paintings.
4: Uh, yes, we're, we've had all the the uh, watercolors photographed and the black and white drawing, and we're think we're talking to the photographer for producing uh, note, note paper uh, note cards on watercolor paper for the congregation to have. And also, we're going to reproduce some of the images if anyone wants to buy them. Um, Honestly, they're so well photographed with colored, corrected lighting that when you see it on watercolor paper, it really, it's nice. And the other funny thing is you can get them bigger. So you could actually have a slightly larger image of, of say, two fish, if you like two fish, or leeks, if you like leeks. So uh, we're thinking of doing that uh, as a follow-up.
0: Um, Are there names, so, okay, so the names that are attributed in the recipes, is that like just underneath the recipe, or is it below the recipe, how did you format that?
5: It's underneath the recipe, and then there's an index of contributors in the back with the page numbers for their recipes. So if you're a big fan of Isabel's cookies, you can go to the back and look up Isabel, um, and then find all of her wonderful recipes. Um, or you can, you know, look through the recipes and just see who made them. So we, it's like the recipe, and then there's any story that they told us, and then the name.
0: And by the way, somebody suggested that maybe there could be note, note cards with those prints.
1: Yeah, yeah that's what Jonathan that's was suggesting. Oh,
0: okay, sorry, mm-hmm. I missed
1: that. Yeah, That's yeah. okay. I tried to show you the formatting in the book, but the lighting is not good here for that. But McLaurin described it well. Oh, that, that, Yeah, so we had, better.
5: you know, one of the nice things about or nice and also limiting things about FunCraft is they do give you a selection of formats. Mm-hmm. And so this is the one that we picked because we had the stories. And we thought this kind of showcase um, what people had to say about their recipes, too.
1: I I should add that FunCraft has all kinds of graphic options and they can can do everything that Jonathan did, not nearly as well, of course. But if if you wanna do a cookbook and don't wanna make any of the aesthetic decisions, FunCraft can give you all kinds of uh, pre-made options. Penelope looks like she has her
3: hand up. Always, um, two things. One is my. my I, it was my question about the formatting of the names, and yeah. the, the reason I asked is what I meant was, um, is it would would you list me as uh, Penny Bingham or Penelope Bingham, a, a, a nickname, or as Penelope Bingham or as Miss Bingham, Miss Penelope Bingham? Would, how formal are the name? It's you can look at the history of of community cookbooks and see that change. Mm. From, no, the only um, yeah. by the husband's name and is interested in oh. other thing is i am a lapsed member of of st chris i was <gasps> confirmed and married there but not since um but i would love to get these note cards and to, I, I, can you make i suspect i'm not alone in the community mm-hmm. that isn't just your isn't just the church community mm-hmm. and if your goal is to raise money the more people you have to anti up the better. Uh, could you th- think about how to reach people like me, mm-hmm. a smart on this, who will want to buy those? Those, those watercolors are absolutely lovely, Jonathan. They're really wonderful. Thank uh, you
4: very much. We're then, we're going to explore doing no cards. I think that's a great idea. And the nice thing is, I think he can produce them on demand. So we can, if we fantastic. have twenty that want them, we can make twenty packages of note cards and if there are a couple watercolors we'll do that too but you're right we're trying to raise a little money and uh i think it would be fun to have some meals we used to have meals on on sundays and it would be fun to feature some of the menu items Mm -hmm. on sundays and have them and bring the chefs who actually created to talk about how they put the meals together so
1: that's a great idea jonathan yeah, oh, and normal. Penelope, just to answer your question, it's just first and last name, no husband's name. So I'm just reading Elizabeth Kolbeck, uh, Connie Friedenmund. Um, the only formal one is the Reverend Wes Snedley. He gets an honorific. Everybody else is just, Suzanne Lyle. It's very simple.
0: Um, somebody inquired, or, Thank did, you. Did you sell it print on demand on Amazon. There's another channel of distribution.
4: Okay, that's a good tip. Hmm we'll explore all of that. Yeah.
0: Always something to learn.
4: Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so if there's no more questions, I think, I think this has been a great exercise in learning what it is to put together a community cookbook and you might frighten some people into never attempting, but you <laughs> might have inspired a few people to say, you know what, if they could do it, what the heck? So could I. Because that's what gets me
3: usually into trouble. I suspect you'll sell some cookbooks after this presentation, too. We would not object to that. No, I didn't think
1: so.
0: (laughs) Nope, nope, nope. And you never know the power of Facebook and all these other things.
1: All righty. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you, Catherine. We appreciate the opportunity. It was wonderful. Thank you. Glad to help. Thank you.
4: Good night. Good night. Good night.